Rex Radio brings you The Haunted Sea with host Scott Martis. Hello, this is Scott Martis. Welcome to another episode of The Haunted Sea. Today's episode is a review of my most recent trip to Lake Champlain, and I'm going to be talking to some of the people that were there working with me this past summer, August and September. And I'm breaking the interview up into two sections with two different sets of people. And the first one is with the Anderson family, who I've worked before in the past with. This is Ruby Anderson, Gary Anderson, and Precious Anderson. Hello. Hello. How are you? Good. So, um, we probably want to set up the fact that we have worked together before roughly 10, 11 years ago. So, Ruby, do you want to explain how we met? Uh, sure. Um, I've been working with Scott on and off since 2008. Uh, we met through Philip O'Donnell, who was another uh, researcher, and he introduced me to Scott in 2008, and we did... Uh, Expeditions at Lake Champlain at Button Bay in 2008, 9, and 10 with Scott Martis and with Elizabeth von Lugenthaler. And to, to those who don't know, Liz von Lugenthaler is the one who recorded the underwater echolocation-like sounds for the Discovery Channel in 2003. And we were actually getting new ones in 2009 and 2010. And the Andersons were at Lake Champlain in 2011. Unfortunately, I was unable to join them. And Precious filmed a video of a couple of humps. You want to talk about that, Precious? Um, yeah, so uh, my mom and I, we just went out to, um, it wasn't the point. It was kind of like their beach area. And, like, I don't know, I just had, like, an intuition to look toward the other island across from us. And I zoomed in with my camera, and it started to pick up, like, you know, things moving pretty at a decent good speed. And um, you couldn't see it quite with the naked eye, and I had to be full zoom to even capture the videos that I did capture. So, and that went on for, like, about five, ten minutes. And the videos are posted on YouTube. Yep. Um... I was able, this past summer, I was able to get a <clears throat> an outfit called Tri-Diver Paranormal to stabilize the videos. Mm -hmm. And I think I sent you copies of those. Those The stabilized versions are not posted on YouTube, but <clears throat> the original unedited video is on YouTube. Yep. Yeah. Gary. Would you would you would you like to tell the story about what happened to you and your brother on the island? Oh yes, uh, there's an island we're not allowed to mention its name. Um, you can go to Lake Champlain and try to find that yourself. You have to sign a waiver to not say the name of the island. So, but um, it's it's kind of like Gilligan's Island. There's like nothing on there except like an out, outhouse. So whatever you need, you have to bring with you. So if you have water or food or whatever you need, you bring it. And the cameras you bring with you, whatever you have. Well, we were out there 
for like two days on this island. And uh, it has a kind of a muddy, sandy beach. And when you walk on it, your footprints will stay there for weeks unless unless the water gets up real high. And you, even the water, if you walk into the water, your footprints in the water don't disappear for, for days on end. So uh, one night, uh, it was around 10 o'clock or whatever, uh, we put that campfire out and everything. And um, maybe like a half hour later, we could hear what sounded like an animal being killed. So uh, we tried to get up. <laughs> uh, I don't know if it was uh, panic or whatever, but you, we couldn't really move that well. Couldn't get up. So after about an hour, we finally got up and looked around the area to see what we could see. It was really dark out. You got most of you guys like a flashlight to go light out the camera. And we didn't see anything. So in, in the next morning when we got up and looked around, we could see a, a set of deer prints coming out of the woods, one set of deer prints to the edge of the water. And they stopped right there. There's no prints going left, right, backwards. There are no prints in the water. So the only thing we could think of is something grabbed the deer right off the shore. And that's what all the noise that we heard and the commotion we heard was. So my my belief is the whatever animals in Lake Champlain doesn't just eat fish. They supplement their diet the way an alligator or a python or anaconda would. They eat other things besides fish. They'll eat possums. They'll eat raccoons. They'll eat deer. And so that's that. That was what happened to us. And I said, there's no explanation for just seeing a set of, set of prints go one way and stopping, other than something took it. It didn't. It didn't leave on its own accord. Well, what whatever the Lake Champlain monster is, it has a history of occasionally wandering around on land just like the Loch Ness Monster does. And there was actually a report from 2004 of some tourists from Maryland seeing one try to take a seagull. So it's obvious that they eat more than just fish. And maybe that's the reason they come on land occasionally, is looking for sources of food on land. So, Gary, why don't you tell us about your uh, experiments with the inflatable Diplodocus and how we tried to expand that over the summer. Okay, uh, there was one summer we were out on the point on Lake Champlain in Burlington and we, we just set up the inflatable out on the t very end of the point. It's like a big rock that sticks out into the middle of the lake. It looks kind of like a ship almost. And, uh, there were some little kids there messing with it, you know, because they're curious or whatever. And they were hitting it. And while they were hitting it, all of a sudden you could hear this large, large roar. It kind of like shook everything and everybody. And everybody there kind of just kind of froze and looked around and said, okay, what was that? And where did it come from? And everybody else said, well, it sounded like it came from the water. 
So we, we had a person with us who was doing filming. He was kind of a skeptic on the whole idea of an actual animal, you know, being in Lake Champlain. But after he heard that, he changed his mind. He picked up his camera and he, he said, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm not sticking around here anymore. So he, he got convinced. He was a skeptic. He became convinced very quickly. Was this Jake Teresi? Yes, yes. Yeah, we're all, all four of us are in his documentary. Right. Lake yeah. Monster. Yeah. Yeah, he changed his, his mind and his view after being there for himself. Yeah, he was joking around a lot and kidding us a lot and joking, but when, that, when all was said and done, he changed his mind. Well, this year, this year you brought more than just the Diplodocus. You brought some actual inflatable marine reptile models. Uh, yes, we brought um, a sea turtle inflatable, and we brought a Loch Ness Monster inflatable. Seems like there was a Mosasaur one too, wasn't there? Uh, I think so, yeah. We, we had three. Well, and we also brought the underwater hydrophone. Yes, and uh, I brought the biopsy darts with me and the magnet. And this last trip, we were able, me and you were able to go out to somewhere in Colchester. I can't remember the name of the bay. But we spent a couple of hours trying to do something. If I could go back in time, what I should have done is physically walked the inflatable sea turtle out into the water myself. The problem we were having is that the tide was coming in and we were trying to take this stuff out. And the, the tide kept watching it back in. Next time, hopefully, we'll have the boat too, and we'll be able to drop it from the boat to the Yeah. Or weigh it down somehow. Or weigh it down somehow with a weight. Yeah, I had a lot of bad luck on this expedition. The original plan was my friend John Cronin, who's been working with me for the last couple of years, had access to a small boat. And the original idea was to take all this stuff out and use it on the boat. And I got a double whammy about two or three weeks before I was supposed to come up. John broke his leg on a hiking trip to Lake Dunmore. And then, while he was healing up with his broke leg, we found out the boat we were going to use, the engine was down. So I was completely boatless this last trip. And... Uh, you guys got to meet my friend Jill Decker, who does the Paranormal and Beyond radio program, and we were all on there, along with my friend Jason Lords, who also helps me with the champ stuff. But he's primarily a Bigfoot researcher. And uh, I hope you guys enjoyed the interview with, uh, with Jill. I was lucky enough to be on the show twice not the, after you guys left. Me and Jason were on there together for for another show after that, two weeks later. So, so another problem we were gonna set up on the Colchester Causeway, which is fairly deep and would have been a very good place for us to deploy all the stuff. And it turns out it was closed due to construction. And we we looked and looked and looked and had a hard time finding it. And by the time we found it. You know, we found out it, it was under construction and closed. 
So you, you never know. You, you make these big, grandiose plans, and then when you get there on the ground, something always goes wrong, you know? So do you want to... Do you want to add something, uh, things that you think are relevant, any of you? Always have a, back, always have a backup plan. <laughs> always have backup uh, equipment. Because I know we went up there a couple times and the cameras went, the batteries for the cameras went out or something happened to the camera itself. So you need to have more than one. And it's better to have a couple people with you, but not a, a, a whole lot of people, but a couple people. We'll keep an eye out and see things that you're not. Obviously, some people see things you're not seeing and hear things you're not hearing. And well, pay I, attention to different things. I usually try to go work in a place where there's not a lot of tourists and campers around. Sometimes that can be very problematic because a lot of the shoreline around the lake is private property. So it's very hard a lot of the times, especially in the summertime, to find places that are isolated that aren't private property. That's very true. Well, that that's case, try to go to like some of the, the public like parks. Not, some of them aren't that crowded, and it depends on the time of the year. You got to try to find out whenever their peak time is to try to stay away from the peak times, as far as like a. People visiting, you want to go either early or later after most of the people have, you know, their vacations are over. Yeah. Okay. So are you, are you guys going to try to make it up this next summer? I'm planning on being there for three weeks. I don't know what the time frame is exactly yet, but. Um, yeah, we're planning to go back to Button Bay because we know the area much better there. We've had the most sightings. And we've had the most success there. Yeah, well, hopefully there's some way I can meet you guys down there or something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one thing that Gary said that uh, Gary Manchiacopa had told me, too, he said, uh, when it comes to electronic equipment, always have backups, and then have backups for your backups. And well, the hard way, that's very true. That's not always possible from a financial standpoint, but if you can do that, yeah, it's great, you know. Usually, most of my expeditions are running on fumes anyway, you know? Do the best we can, you know? At least we're out there trying, you know? And we do have the underwater hydrophone and the underwater video camera now, so that helps a lot. Yeah. Well, my one of my cameras, it's, it's not a GoPro, but it works underwater. And um, Jill was able to take me up several times up to... Um, Oak Ledge Park where the Olsen video happened, so I was able to get out there and ascertain whether those fissures in the rocks were caves or not, and it turns out they weren't. But at least now we know. Yeah. Yeah. Also, practice with, it. Practice with your camera. Try to see what you get. Get, 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 like, get, get a tripod. tripod. Yeah. If your hand's not yeah. steady or if you're nervous, it's gonna, you're going to have well at least at least now I know somebody that can stabilize the video for us if we get something you know yeah yeah also the temperatures up there at Lake Champlain especially in the evening when Champlain is active 
yeah. drop more really quickly, and your body can't always adjust to the temperature drop that fast. Yeah. Which is the, the problem Liz and I had the time that we saw the three champs, where they were uh, hurting the school of fish in the shallows. Yeah. We couldn't hold the camera steady. Well, why, why don't you just go ahead and retell that story for the audience? Um, well, that day it was about 80 degrees during the day, but at sunset it dropped to about 50 within an hour. And so Liz and I both, our hands were shaking. We couldn't hold the camera steady, but we saw three chimps uh, coming in. They were herding a school of fish. They herded the fish into the shallows and made like a whirlpool around the fish, and they were picking the fish off. And Liz and I were both trying to get video of it, but neither one of us could hold the camera steady enough to get a, a clear video. Yeah. I remember one time, I think it must have been 2011, when I was not able to, to meet with you guys, but I asked you to try to throw exotic bait into the water to see if you attracted anything, and yes. you told me something came up. Tell us about that. You want to talk about that? Did we do that? Yeah, we did. I don't think. So, it wasn't them. We, we, we threw mackerel into the water. And didn't we have some squid too? So we threw no, just mackerel. It was just mackerel? Well, we saw. Fish. Yeah, it brought the, uh, a lot of large fish up, and then there was like a whirlpool that came up around the fish. Well, you see, the reason the reason I thought that idea up is that most likely whatever camp is, its ancestors came in from the ocean. So if you introduce an exotic food item that they're not used to eating, you know, I thought it might be a great way of attracting something, you know, something new on the menu. Well, the, from the video, it looked like they were and I saw it, and from what Bowie shirts had shown, uh, she thought they were really partial to uh, the salmon, anything that had like a high oil, high fat content. Yeah, well she said something to me one time about that most of the places that she was getting her sounds recorded, like Hunter Bay and Town Farm Bay, had large concentrations of rainbow smelt, too. And rainbow smelt is an oceanic fish that has adapted to fresh water in Lake Champlain. It's one of the fish that are left over from the Champlain Sea period. So, I guess if you guys want to, you know, each kind of summarize what your thoughts are, we'll, we'll wrap it up. Okay. Uh, just based on our experience on things we saw, uh, I would say that there's more than one type of species of uh, unknown animal yeah. in the lake. It's not just one type. Uh, definitely something like a plesiosaur. There's some other animals that maybe... Um, a large serpent, a very large serpent-like thing that's not a plesiosaur. Uh, whether it's a large eel or a large snake or a elongated mammal of some kind. But yeah, there's definitely something more to the serpent. Just a serpent type thing is extremely long. Uh, 
I, I don't want to <laughs> really hazard a guess on how long it is, but uh, I've seen it, me and Prussia seen it pass before us, and it took almost two minutes before it passed before us. So it was like watching a freight train go by. That's all I'm saying. And other people who have seen it would say the same thing. Other people said they've seen something look more like a brontosaurus type of thing. Other people have seen turtle type of thing. And some other people said they've seen something that stands on its hind legs, more like um, a, 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 a parasaur or something like that. Yeah. Or a duck bell, some type of duckbill animal. A dinosaurish creature. What did you say, Scott? I said some kind of dinosaurish creature or maybe something along the lines of a Tannis Trophias. Yeah. I would also agree that there's more than one thing they're seeing. Um, we do know that seals on occasion get into Lake Champlain. Yes. Uh, after the, the whale ending up in Montreal, it's possible you could occasionally have a whale who takes a different river and ends up in the lake. Beluga. Yeah. So people are having different types of sightings and reporting different features. It doesn't necessarily mean anyone is lying or they're making it up. They no. could literally just be seeing different animals and calling it all champ. And there's also people seeing natural phenomena like floating pieces of wood debris and waves and stuff like that too. Yep. So I would I would add that also Basilosaurus, the prehistoric whale, was kind of serpentine too. So that could be yep. a Basilosaurus. possibility. Yeah. Could be a possibility for a serpentine type yep. creature. And we do know that there's something that echolocates, which would be something probably a, a mammal in the whale or dolphin family. Most likely. Some new research that indicates that possibly plesiosaurus used echolocation, possibly the solosaurus did as well. So those are possibilities. There's even some there's even some evidence that seals echolocate too. Yeah. No, I was going to say, um, like I know they uh, compared the echolocation rings that they got off of what they call champ at the moment, and they compared it to a killer whales, and it was almost exact. So it's definitely, I believe there is definitely some kind of unknown mammal in there, if not a whale of some kind. That's definitely my one of my theories, and I do definitely think there's more than one thing. And if you're going there to research or study this thing, I, I don't think you should go with the intent of expecting to find it, but just be there and enjoy the experience because then your I feel energy has a lot to do with it, and it's a lot more laid back and not threatening to them. Yeah. yeah. Especially if they do echolocate, they will feel that and read that. Well, if they okay. use echolocation, I think that's one of the reasons why you have such a hard time finding them on sonar because the sonar from a boat fish finder or a side scan sonar unit probably scares them. Yeah. Because they're sensitive to those kind of audio frequencies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unless you catch fish parts. Yeah, that's true. All right, well, thank you. Thank you for coming on the show, and hopefully I'll see you guys sometime next summer. You will. You all have a good night. You too. Right. Hello, this is Scott Martis, and now we're moving on to the second interview on this special retrospective 
of the 2019 Champ Expedition. And my guest for this segment is my friend and filmmaker, Alexander Petikoff. Hello, Alexander. Hey, Scott. How you doing? Good. Uh, if anyone doesn't know, he produced and directed the uh, On the Trail of Champ miniseries for uh, Small Town Monsters. And uh, this was back in 2017. Alexander, do you want to uh, talk about your impressions of what happened in 2017? Sure, yeah. So that's really when I kind of got into the sort of Champ phenomenon, to speak. Uh, prior to that, you know, I'd heard of Champ always, you know, growing up, kind of being interested in cryptozoology. I hadn't heard a whole lot about it. Um, or actually, I wasn't really focused on that much. I was much more interested in Loch Ness, which is across the ocean from me here in New England, whereas I grew up about three hours away from Lake Champlain, so that was kind of the irony. Uh, so, you know, I drove in that first, uh, first I, I shot about three weekends worth of uh, content there at Lake Champlain, and a fourth one during the winter. But the initial uh, time there was in uh, the summer, and it kind of blew me away, and, and spending time with yourself and Will Duran Guinness and some of the other folks there, eyewitnesses, uh, and that sort of thing checking out some of the sites, it really kind of blew me away how big of an environment it was. I really hadn't spent that much time at Lake Champlain, and you know, now, almost three, four years later, since that initial project, I'm still very interested in, in the phenomena and, and just Lake Champlain itself. I mean, I just I find it very fascinating. It's a beautiful location. Yeah, and uh, one thing that featured prominently in your documentary was uh, the research that Will and I were doing about the uh, caves in Lake Champlain that at one time were underwater during the time of the Champlain Sea, the prehistoric ocean that was the predecessor of um, Lake Champlain. And uh, over the course of the last few years, I've been trying to go into these caves and look for bones of possible dead ones that may have been left over from the Champlain Sea. And... I'm also working toward the idea that there might still be underwater caves in the lake now that might have um, the remains of dead champs in them. And what put the idea in my head was the fact that they find dead sea turtles and manatees and sometimes alligators and crocodiles in underwater caves. And it's not clear as to whether they've gone into these caves on purpose to die or if they just blundered into these caves and couldn't find their way back out. So it's possible that if Champ exists and is a flesh and blood animal and it dies like any normal animal, we may be able to find the remains in places like underwater caves and on the bed of the lake. So you came up to help me some this previous trip this last summer and uh, we were able to explore some of the uh, caves with your drone camera. Do you want to talk about that? Sure, yeah, that was obviously very interesting. Uh, I think a lot of people don't know the fact that Lake Champlain was actually once part of the, the sea. I mean, in very recent history, geologically speaking, a very fascinating kind of aspect of it, and the fact that you have other species that possibly have adapted from salt water to fresh water, some of the fish in the lake, I think sort of, Lays the groundwork for possibility, at least for something larger, perhaps, than fish to have adapted. And the idea that these caves are there, I mean, that's something... How many people know that there are sea caves in Vermont? I mean, that's something that I don't think you hear every day. 
so these are obviously, as you mentioned, remnants from the Champlain Sea. So what we did was when I came up there in September, I got my drone and we checked out a couple different spots that had these caves, uh, as well as uh, Oak Ledge Park there in Burlington near the site of the Olson video, uh, because we you had a theory that perhaps there was some kind of a fissure or some sort of crevasse in the rock that this object in the video may have swam into or, or somehow gained access to in the water, and I think we were able to determine that wasn't really the case because we weren't able to find any place. It was just sort of fissure in the rock that didn't really lead into a cave or wasn't deep enough for, for anything big to fit in there. Uh, aside from that, we obviously checked out uh, two other spots, one the Donahue Sea Caves, which I think was kind of a funny little adventure because those caves are really in the middle of suburban Burlington, Vermont, and they're right next to the highway. There's really no good way to get to it, at least in the summertime. So we had uh, my brother kind of just drop us off with the car and go about the exit, because this is right on a highway exit, and he sort of looped back at 10 minutes, so we had enough time to just fly the drone over there, because you really can't get to the cave otherwise. I plan on going back in the winter uh, and kind of walking right in, because that would be a different story, obviously, when there's four feet of ice in the pond. Yeah, when that... just walk. When that muck is all frozen up, is the easiest time to get access to it. Yeah, that's the, so I'll, you know, keep you posted on how that goes, but uh, the third cave we checked out in September was the Cave Island there in uh, Mallet's Bay. Yeah, there's... a massive cave that you can actually walk into. There's actually... huge. There's two of them on the same island. Yeah. Right, right. So we checked out, I think, the larger one. Yeah. I flew my drone in the air. We didn't really have the chance to actually get up close to it which would have been cool, but, um, you yeah, know, regardless, it was still pretty interesting to see that. Yeah. And uh, it, was, it was, yeah, it was just really cool to kind of check out some of these sites that, you know, I've only really read about. You know, I've explored many other parts of the lake, uh, but this was the first time I saw the caves really in person. Yeah. In 2018, I was able to physically go in the caves on Cave Island, but we had a boat with access to get over there, and this year the boat was in the shop and we didn't have a boat, so... The only way I would have had to get over there was to swim from that pier that we were on. Uh, we'll see what the situation is next year. I'm planning on trying to buy a raft, so hopefully that will solve that problem. Very easy access, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I actually was just uh, driving by Lake Champlain a couple days ago on my way up to Montreal for Thanksgiving. Uh, we drove up, you know, we always end up driving up that way because uh, if you're coming in from the Boston area, you kind of drive through Vermont and you end up going either the Burlington Rock or we actually went across the on the New York side. And that was my first time driving through the Plattsburgh area. So you went up to Ross's Point? Um, and, and actually, it was uh, Champlain, which is kind of to the left of the lake. Ah. Ross's Point is sort of, uh, if you were to go directly in, take the island route up. But, um... But I did, I did manage to see that, you know, there was a spot there in Pottsburg where they had the new champ plaque, uh, for the, the yeah, I've just seen, this summer. I've seen a picture of it. Champy, says Champy, you know. Yeah. Uh, didn't have a chance to go visit it physically, but that's definitely on the list. You know, I have a list of, uh, champ sites to see. Yeah. Um, which I believe I've shared with you, uh, which is, yeah, just kind of all the touristy sort of stuff and the landmarks and all the cool places to check out just from the, you know, going on three years now that I've been spending time up there after the series, even after on the Trail of Champ, just kind of finding the area. It's almost become sort of a cryptid tourism thing. And I've told uh, quite a number of people so far, you know, have asked me about, oh, what's a good place to go see some cool Champ stuff or souvenirs, that kind of stuff. 
and I have this list now that I give to people, and I think it's really cool because it allows them to not only check out, you know, the touristy stuff, the, the, the sites to see, but some of the locations where there have been sightings where, you know, a place like Bulaga Bay and yeah. Fort Henry, you know, it's just kind of, it's got that historic value to a Crown Point, even Whitehall, New York, with yeah. obviously the Bigfoot stuff now, you have Bigfoot and Champ kind of going on in the same area, which I think is pretty sweet. Yeah, um... If I were you, the next time you're up in Montreal, I'd try to go to Mo McGill University and see if they have a lot of uh, Champlain Sea fossils on display. I bet you they do. Yeah, that would be pretty interesting. I have, uh, I have an uncle that lives up there, so if I'm, if I'm up there again visiting, you know, maybe when the weather's a little warmer, I'll have to go check that out. Yeah, I most of the Champlain Sea fossils have actually been found up in Ontario and Quebec because that's where the majority of the sea actually was. Yeah, and that's, that's a very interesting. Uh, if you want, if, if for people that have driven up that way, once you, as soon as you cross the U.S. border, you'll notice it just flattens out all the way up to Montreal. And this area is some of the most fertile farmland in Quebec, actually. Well, yeah. And, uh, it's, it's, no, it's no wonder, because that, is, that was the floor of the Champlain Sea. Yeah. And if you look at the map, the proposed map of what it looked like, Lake Champlain was just kind of a fjord yeah. in that sea. But exactly. you know, a lot of farmland is basically former ocean floor. I mean, you have plenty of other places, the, the Midwest, the Midwest United States, the Pomeranian Sea in Central Europe, kind of yeah. uh, very fertile ground. It was all prehistoric sea land, so it's well, all interesting. That, you know, the Champlain Sea is obviously more recent. All that land out in the Midwest was the bottom of the Western Interior so Seaway, which was the Mesozoic inland sea where all the plesiosaurs and mosasaurs lived during their historic yeah, time. Yeah, absolutely. And then, like, like I said, that's why it's so interesting when you see then Lake Champlain, which is this direct connection to the Champlain Sea. Yeah. And then you have this farmland, and it's just, it's much more recent than any of the other oh, yeah. uh, ones that we've mentioned so far, which are so mind-blowing. Yeah, 10,000 years ago, it was marine. Yeah, and that, that for me has been kind of the biggest factor of believability, I would say, the, the, the possibility that something like Champ could exist. I think if there were a place, Lake Champlain would probably have the highest chance of that, just because of the factors at play, yeah. whether it would be the history of the area, the size of the lake, the, the ecological diversity in the, in the actual lake yeah. itself. You know, it's a very biologically a sustainable kind of place. Although it has issues with pollution, but compared to a place like Loch Ness, it's much more fertile sort of ground for much, various species. Much so it's more interesting. biodiversity than Loch Ness. Yeah, right. Um, and you know, and it's generally assumed that at least four of the fishes that live in Lake Champlain now are direct descendants of their marine ancestors that lived in the Champlain Sea. So those fish are pretty good proof that something else could have survived the transition from salt water to fresh water and lived on. We just got to find it if it's there. Yeah, exactly. And that, that I think is a very tantalizing possibility. And that's what's, I think, propelled people like you that are interested in that. Uh, to keep on searching, and, and certainly myself, you know, it's probably one of my favorite cryptids. I mean, I cover lots of other topics in my in my research and my films. Uh, you know, Champ is just one sort of area, but by far it's probably my favorite and the one that I always keep coming back to because it's just so many new leads and so many interesting. Uh, you know, you could just kind of go off in one direction. I mean, I had the chance to in October 
when I was up in Vermont to visit the Lake Champlain, uh, the Nautical Museum there, the Maritime Museum, excuse me. Yeah, I've been uh, there. It the yeah, it was the last weekend they were open, and it just kind of had a bunch of the history about scuba diving in the lake and history of boats and, and people around the lake. And I think that in itself, in American history, there was a lot of important things that happened on that waterway. Uh, from the pirates that existed at one point, Jefferson's embargo to yeah. the War of 1812, Revolutionary War. I mean, you name it. It's just had a lot going on for it. Yeah. Uh, Lake Monster aside, but I think that's what, you know, what creates it. Uh, it makes it so much more interesting as well as the fact that there is this lake monster that's been there, or at least the stories have been there, uh, well before Loch Ness, in the sense that yeah. it was dominating American yeah. headlines much before Loch Ness was popular. The people in the Champlain region historically relied on trade with Canada, and so when when there was war between America <laughs> and England, and Canada took the side of, of England, and there was also the French and Indian War, that caused a lot of problems for people who relied on trade between the Lake Champlain region and Canada. That's why you had a lot of piracy and you had bootlegging going on during the uh, Prohibition era and all kinds of things like that. So, yeah, absolutely. Of, that I think is very interesting. Uh, it was I think last year, you know, coming back down from Canada, I would always stop at this gas station in St. Albans, Vermont. Obviously, St. Albans is kind of a very interesting town itself, history-wise, in St. Albans Bay. You yeah. know, I always ask the clerks there, you know, what do they think about Champ? Have they heard any stories? Sometimes I'll get, oh, yeah, people have seen stuff. One of the years, the lady told me about seeing a UFO coming out of the water or the lake. Uh, and then this, it was last year, so last November, uh, the people said, oh, we didn't know about any Champ stories, but we know that there's ghost pirates on in St. Albans Bay, supposedly there's a ghost of pirate ship. So that kind of spurred my curiosity and I did some research on it, and you know there was uh, actually was some pirate ships there that operated, or rather, pirates that kind of smuggled goods from Smuggler's Notch. Well, the one, in Vermont, the one that I'm famous, the one that I'm aware of is this ship called the Black Snake. And they that's act, exactly right. Yeah, yeah, the Black Snake, which has an interesting name. I mean, that's a fascinating Absolutely. name. That it's called the Black Snake. Yeah, this would have been around the War of 1812 era. Yeah, so I think it was right after the War of 1812 that when the, the Thomas Jefferson had an embargo with uh, with Canada, the British Canada, of course, and uh, I guess the story was these pirates got, uh, there were some privateers after them for smuggling, and they were all armed, and they got into some kind of a battle with the authorities, and a couple people died, and the panic ensued, and the guys just kind of gave up, and the authorities rounded them up, and they actually hung a couple of them in Burlington. It was Vermont's, I think, one of the biggest public executions at the time, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. So, uh, that, so yeah, just like I said, I mean, there's so many different avenues you can kind of go down once you start looking into this kind of champ stuff, um, or just the lake itself has such a storied history, and it's such a huge body of water that you, know, you go from one end, to the French Canadian and to down to Whitehall, New York, as oh, yeah, it's has, huge. is now known for Bigfoot. Yeah. When I was there in 2017, I managed to go all the way from Whitehall up to Alberg, so that's a good chunk of the lake. Yeah, that's that's pretty much the whole thing. I mean, for the most part, I, I kind of have done that over the few years, pieced it together, you know. This summer was the first time I went up to the islands and to Rouse's Point and Alberg. And uh, last April was the first time I went down to Whitehall, and I've kind of explored the areas in between. I still got to make it to the Osable Chasm there. I want to yeah. check that out. 
see how that looks. But uh, yeah, there's there's just so much to see. It's it's huge. It's a massive area. Yeah. Well, over around the Al Sable era is where the uh, Bodet video was filmed. Yeah. So again, that that kind of just adds to the intrigue. And uh, yeah, just gonna say I have a friend of mine, Karat Saint Lawrence, uh, who I'm sure you know from from online, the Cryptozoology yes. Group on Facebook. He's actually working on a project about the Bodet video specifically. He's talked to me a bunch. I'm, I'm sure he's talked to you and some of the other people involved in it as well, kind of well, uh, try, trying to get something or some sort of information out about it. I mean, it's a very, I, I hit a lot of dead ends there with the lawyer. In, uh, yeah, that's in what I was going to say is if you can get that past Scott Shagan that's downhill from there, it's the guy that's holding the hostage. Yeah, that's, 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 what, uh, that's what I've been kind of saying for the past few years after dealing with, with that guy specifically, you know, it just wasn't that, wasn't easy, but yeah. I, and nothing ever ended up happening with it. I mean, I know they tried to get Bill to sign a, uh, yeah. uh, NDA there, not a disclosure agreement, just for viewing the tape, and, and I know that's a couple other people have told me the same sort of thing, so. Well. It's unfortunate that we can't get much done with that, but, uh, I'm hoping this new project will do something. I'm hoping I can get it to New Jersey someday to look at it myself, you know, at least see it, but I do know that. Yeah, that's. I do know three people that have seen the whole video, and one of them's dead, obviously, William. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, that's it's interesting. You know, it's just, uh, you know, my experience with it was obviously talking to Bill, who had seen it, and then uh, Chuck as well, Chuck Pogan, who that's, had seen that's it. That's another one of the people, and the uh, the third person I know is Liz Von Muggenthaler. Right, right, yes, yeah. So, so pretty interesting. I mean, I think it's, uh, it's too bad that you can't have... You know, arguably two of the best pieces of champ evidence out there basically are you know, the Baudet video and the Wilson video. And in one case, you have the lawyer hanging on to it. The other case, the guy wants nothing to do with the video. And then you have yeah. the Nancy photo, which, of course, yeah. uh, is has been analyzed many times. And Sandra mm-hmm. Nancy is uh, sadly departed. Yeah. But, um, you know, those are three sort of... That's as good as it, pieces yeah, that's as good as it gets for... for Photographic evidence. Um, yeah, video and photo. Obviously, there are other yeah. forms of evidence as well. But yeah. Uh, yeah, hopefully we'll get something new. Hopefully there will be a new piece of video or photo that comes yes. out because I think it's been a long time since there's been something good on Champ that's kind of come out. Would you like to talk about your new project coming out? Sure, yeah, I can talk a little bit about that. It's uh, Lions of the East, and it's about the mountain lions and the sort of the mystery big cat phenomena in uh, New England specifically, an area where they're not supposed to be here, technically, uh, they're supposed to be extinct in this part of the country, eastern mountain lion, you know, there's still mountain lions out west, but over the years there have been many cases of people seeing them, uh, there's been DNA evidence that has been gathered that has shown that there, at one point is a mountain, there has been a mountain lion in multiple instances that has moved through different states in New England, and somewhat of a cover-up, from the authorities, which is, uh, you know, not fanning the flames of conspiracies, but just sort of interesting that it, it breeds sort of distrust with the public, and that's kind of, the project will cover that and some other aspects of the mystery as well. Yeah, I've interviewed a lot of people for it. I think, uh, I think it's, it's, a, it's you know, been a long time coming because this topic is very heavily discussed. I mean, every fall there seems to be a, a slew of headlines and articles about this very subject throughout the New England region, at least from what I've noticed. There's definitely a big public interest, and there's almost nobody 
that doesn't know someone who hasn't seen a mountain lion. You know, right. it's like you talk to people and they're all, oh yeah, my cousin saw one or I know somebody that saw one. I saw one. I've had people come out of the woodworks telling me about their stories since I've kind of right. this project. Joe Citro saw one. He told me about it years ago. Yeah, he's actually one of the people I interviewed uh, last uh, last spring. Yeah. He talked about his, in, in, you know, Joe is obviously known for covering a lot of Vermont folklore. That he's, you know, the ghost stories, very good champ research as well, uh, you know, kind of documenting the stories, and he's got some very fictional stuff out there as well about a champ and other, other lake, or not lake, well, some lake monsters in Vermont, but, you know, the Bigfoot kind of stories, but he's actually seen a mountain lion, which is pretty interesting. So he kind of fits into that mystery as well. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming on the show, and uh, it's been a great conversation, as always, and uh, hopefully I'll see you there next summer. Yeah, absolutely. Just uh, let me know what's going on and what your plan is, and you know, even if I can just make it up for a day or two like this year, that will be uh, that'd be great, but hopefully a little bit longer. Yeah. Because it is, yeah, the Lake Champlain is about three, three and a half hours away from from where I'm at, um, but I, I, it's, it doesn't take much to convince me to, to come up there in, in, when I have free time, because I absolutely love Lake Champlain, and the, the area has become like a sort of second home to me in a way, just I, I, every time I'm there, I just feel really, really good, it's just a nice area, Vermont yep. has a great vibe, beautiful place. New York region, it's a beautiful area. Yep, I love it, got a lot of friends there, it was home to me for 18 years, so. Yeah, yep. well, there you go. Well, uh, best of luck with the rest of the research, and uh, we'll be in touch, Scott. All right. Thank you, Alex. Take care. Good night. Bye-bye.